0: Uh, Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah chapter 3, Ruined Remedies is the title, and as we examine these judgments through Isaiah on the lifestyles of the people whom he had before him, it brought God's judgment then, and it brings God's judgment even now. Though not immediate, the meter is running. And uh, this means that it has something to do with our lives. We're not just walking through the Old Testament because we're just a bunch of curious people. We want to know what God wants us to know. And the way he really does that is through his word. In this chapter, and, and often in other spots of Isaiah, it is... These things are said with satire and caricature, uh, without humor. The caricatures are exaggerations of a fact that is, of something that is there. And he's going to bring that out, and I'll comment again on on the caricature and the satire as we move forward. But this is what you you have is a prophet trying to reach his audience through uh, caricature and satire, And other points, he's just direct, and other times he'll use uh, allegory and images in chapter 5, which we'll get to hopefully next session. Uh, He he uses metaphor for Israel as the vineyard. And so this is a prophet hot at work, and we can all benefit from learning uh, the methods of God's men and women in Scripture. Verse verse 1 now of Isaiah 3, For behold, the Lord Yahweh of hosts takes away from Jerusalem... And from Judah, the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread, and the whole supply of water. Now, where he says, for behold, that links what he is about to say with what he had already said in the last verse of the previous chapter, in verse 22 of Isaiah 2. And there he he told the people to sever relationships with those who were idolaters, and if God rejects the proud idolaters, then the faithful also must reject them. And so he says, therefore, or built upon that, the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem. So he's saying, separate from them. God is going to judge them. And don't identify with people who refuse to repent, who insist on defying the, the clear revealed word of God. And he is showing that the anti-Yahweh leadership in Judah brought about the collapse of their own society. Uh, We're living in a time that we're watching just immorality uh, uh, set up conditions for a collapse. And it is... um, You can can look at it, you can wring your fingers... Or you can pray for opportunity to address it. Uh, if God will bring people your way, you know, maybe there's um, a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant or something that you have contact with. On a, maybe you go there for morning breakfast or something like that. And your heart, you know, they're on your heart. Or maybe it's somewhere else. Uh, that would be the Lord wanting to reach a member of this twisted culture. And if you listen to pastors from uh, the 70s and the 60s, and you hear them talk about how twisted the culture <laughs> is in their day, and you're saying, man, if, if this is a contest, I'm going to blow them away. Uh, does it, how, much wor- how much worse can it, can it get? The Lord, Yahweh of hosts, God is God invincible, his battle title, <clears throat> takes away from Jerusalem and Judah the stock and the store. Well, we hear a lot about the supply chain. Well, Isaiah is telling them the supply chain is going to be taken away. And the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, he says in verse 1, going to be gone. The judgment through scarcity. Uh, The coming shortages would create a desperate condition. Uh, You got to have these things, of course, you have to have to live. You can't live without fire. You have to have fire. And if you scoff at that, you just point to the sun. The sun is on fire. And uh, you say, that's a tricky one. No, it's straight out. You know, we are not self-existent. God is, and only God is. Well, again, judgment's on the people in opposition to God. Just ask someone who's upset about God's judgment, has he no right? Has he no right if he is God? to administer judgment and accountability, verse 2, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the diviner and the elder. Now, I'm going to have to break this up a little bit, but he's just going to list, like in verse 3, the captains of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter. And then, uh, so this group, uh, the prophet is saying there's going to be a social breakdown, where the men of authority in the communities will be ousted. And God is is going to bring this about, leaving behind the incompetent and the weak and the irresponsible and uh, those who are cruel. The first fulfillment really comes when Nebuchadnezzar uh, comes to to Judah and begins removing the peop- these people away. <clears throat> it will happen again in a more violent fashion when the Romans do it in uh, 70 AD. And then, of course, it will all fall apart in the Great Tribulation, which will be centered on Israel, though the whole world will be in turmoil. The judge and the prophet and the diviner. That's the civil the spiritual, and the heretic. What is the diviner doing there? It's like apple, oranges, staples. I mean, what is the diviner doing there? That's the problem. And the prophet, he's ingenious. He inserts that because they had their false prophets. They had the true prophets too, Isaiah and Micah, for example. This movie played out in the Northern Kingdom. A few people learned a lesson. But for all the misrule of these leaders, by position, not performance, the worst was still to come. He says, and the elder. The elders were supposed to be men of renown, men who you respect, statesmen, people who... Lended, lend, would lend benefit to society. They, too, are going to be removed. Verse 3, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the skillful artisan, the expert carpenter. Well, again, Nebuchadnezzar took anyone who had skill, he, he took them away, and he put them to work in his kingdom. These positions, the people in these positions, will be replaced And yet, as he itemizes them, here's another word, the expert enchanter. It's a liberal sprinkling of charlatans amongst noble professions. The carpenters, the military commanders, and the commanders beneath them. Which is really an indication that the kingdom had potential. It should have done better. Not only did they have people as leaders, they had people that they could delegate who were supposed to be competent leaders. The skillful artisans. Uh, But these soothsayers and clever enchanters, again, what are they doing there? And, uh, yeah, that's the whole problem. Already Judah was suffering. As told in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, they were already being pillaged and people being deported from other parts of Judah, not Jerusalem. The Assyrians could not penetrate Jerusalem. The Babylonians will a hundred years later. Uh, But Judah had all it needed to be a glorious kingdom that it once was. Warriors, mighty men, men of war, captains of 50, sages, elders, judges, noblemen, counselors, prophets, craftsmen, artisans, They felt secure with all of these. They felt very comfortable, as in the cities today, with people sitting at, at, you know, sipping coffee or having meals at bistros and coffee shops, not only oblivious to God, but antagonistic towards him. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man returns. There's poison in this pot because the prophets felt that they could be spiritually liberal and allow for these diviners and these soothsayers and enchanters to be mingled in amongst them without protest when Israel's constitution, which is the law of Moses, prohibited these, called for swift and immediate intolerance of them, capital punishments, banish them or execute them. There's poison in the pot, the spiritual mediums, the charlatans, the diviners, the enchanters, and you look at some of these uh, so-called churches today and you say, they've got the charlatans. They have the wicked in the pulpits and the people are loving it so much. You know, you don't have to say something uh, outright heretical to be a heretic. All you have to do is suppress the truth. You can just tell people God loves you. But leave out the part about there's only one God, one Savior, and and sort of, you know, just suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what is the unrighteousness? Your motives are not matching God's motives. You don't want to tell people because you don't want to offend them. You want them to come back to church. And there are many churches that do this, and they're full. They're full of people who... Don't want to hear it. And so a guy like me gets up and says this, and someone may say, I just sour grapes. Well, the sour grapes aren't because of envy. If If there's any sourness, it's because of pity. Not only because the charlatans are getting away with it and lining their pockets fat with cash, but the people are damning themselves. They have the Bibles, and they will not read what's in the Bible unless they like it. And this is what the prophets, all of them, were up against. None of the prophets were sent when everything was wonderful. The priests were for that. You know, make the offerings to the Lord, your your, your praise offerings, your peace offerings, your sin offerings to the Lord. But when there was trouble, God had to send troubleshooters. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the prophets. And today, uh, the pastors have to make sure that When they preach, they preach the whole counsel of God, as Paul claimed to the Corinthians. I preached it all to you. Verse 4 now, I will give children to their princes, to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. Not a blessing. This is payback. When God says vengeance is mine, he means it. And here the prophet is, is warning the nation that they would be stripped of all mature, experienced, and competent government leaders. This is some of the satire and the caricature that I was mentioning earlier. Children will be their princes. Well, you're not going to have like a three-year-old up on the, you know, running the country. And that's the caricature. But he's saying, you might as well. Problem is, these incompetent people will be worse. When we get to verse 12, if you look down at verse 12, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Didn't Jeremiah say, go in the old paths? Go in the old ways established by Moses was the implication. And the people did not want to do it. Well, today you say, go with the scriptures. The old paths have been laid out for us, and they are trustworthy. And they won't. And, and so they're leaders who are, who are suppressing the truth by not preaching the word of God. Look, you don't have to preach verse by verse to preach the word of God. Charles Spurgeon preached the word of God. And almost every Sunday, it was topical message and midweek. You, again, So there's, you can do expository teaching or you can do topical teaching. With, that includes exposition. That you expound. You open up the word of God. And it's truth. And that's why he has 3,500 sermons in print, and he's been dead over 100 years. Uh, so, uh, the, the, coming back to this, uh, the, when the experienced leaders are removed, as God said would, be, would happen, only the inexperienced are left, ergo the children, uh, to fill the leadership positions. Children, in the sense of inexperience. And incompetence, we would say. They're not capable, a child. Well, the men filling these positions won't be able to help. And this leads to chaos, corruption, and oppression. I could alliterate that. Chaos, corruption, cruelty. The three C's. But then you try to remember that alliteration and forget what the point was. Uh, Anyway, uh, coming back to Isaiah chapter 3, verse 5 now. The people will be oppressed. And there's the oppression. Every one by another and every one by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. Well, that's just what uh, he's uh, he's been saying in such situations as he's been calling promising is going to happen. Justice and truth are the first casualties of the nation. Uh, People don't want to hear the truth. And justice becomes, you know, arbitrary. Well, if I like it, then yeah. But if I don't, what he is saying is you're going to have low-class neighbors. The citizens of the kingdom will be low-class. Whole neighborhoods. Not just, you know, they're everywhere. They are everywhere. Uh, You know, not uh, an exaggeration or a figure of speech. But the reality is, whole neighborhoods. It says everyone by another and everyone by his neighbor. The insolent toward the elders. Well, because the parents are not instilling decency and no one's enforcing it. You have a, 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 a rude, obnoxious child and no one is saying, you don't talk to your elders that way. What's wrong with you? And the base toward the honorable. Here's hostile, low-class, arrogant people. Arrogant because they, they, they have nothing that they can contribute, but they think that they should be honored as though they are a great contribution to their environment. They are indecent towards decent people. So you've got low-class people. When I say low-class, I don't mean uneducated because you can be having, be, have no, no, a little formal education and still be a decent person. You can have high education and be a low-class person. Look at some of these entertainers. Look at some of the sports figures. Uh, so that's not what's, when we say low-class, I mean people you don't want to be around with because they're not decent people. They'll always do something that makes you not want to be around them. And Isaiah is saying your society is going to be infested with people like this. Your society has rotted, and not only has it rotted, he's telling his generation that the remedy, you ruined it. There was a remedy, but you threw it on the ground, and you ruined it. Verse 6, when a man takes hold of his brother and the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power. Well, that's all messed up. Before I say that, notice the prophet is not saying to the people at this point, he will in other points. And here's the balance we need in life <clears throat> you have your problems in life, and God is interested in those problems. But that's not all there is to you, there's other things. And one of the other things is righteousness exalts a nation, sin is a reproach to any people, and you'll have even more problems. And so, if you, you're going through tough times in life, okay, that's a serious thing. I don't want to go through hard times. I don't want to be sick and suffer physically. But I sure don't want to be sick and suffer spiritually either. And so, it, it's, it behooves the Christian. Whenever I use that word, I think of bees with hooves. <laughs> behooves. Anyway, uh, <laughs> a little bee smith there hammering out little shoes. Um, uh, you, the balance is necessary. <clears throat> the thief on the cross, I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that for an individual. And yet, he still began to minister as a newborn. You know, we have done nothing wrong. I mean, we, he is, Christ has done nothing wrong. We deserve to be crucified. And you just, you know, these lessons, they—they—they they, there's things to bookmark in our head for when tough times come. Well, he, coming back to verse 6 now, here's a poor standard to make a leader. You've got clothes. I mean, Listen to When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, there's a blood brother apparently that Isaiah is using in his caricature, saying, you have clothing. Be our ruler. In other words, you must be successful. People think like, people think if a rich person knows what they're talking about on any matter. Well, they might know when it comes to making money for themselves. Look at Retevia and Fiddle on the Roof. He sings that, If I Were a Rich Man. And in part of the song, he says, you know, because when you're rich, they think you know the answers. And, of course, it's, it's not true. It shows that something's not working right here. Churches make this mistake. Rich people come into the church. They find out they're rich. Um, they want to point them to positions. James warns against that. He says, you know, a rich guy comes in the church, don't go putting him in high positions in the, in the pews and let the guy who has no money go sit in the back somewhere. That's not righteous. Anyway, to sweeten the deal, we want you to be our leader. And to sweeten the deal, we're throwing the ruins. That's what he says. Look at it. When a man takes hold of his brother in his father's house, saying, You have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power. Now, nobody's going to do that. That's the caricature. That's Isaiah saying, You know, you folks are so messed up. You're going to be pulling little stunts like this beneath the table. But God sees it for what it is. And so he's not so much describing events as mocking the attitudes where leadership merits disappear. You know, to say to somebody, uh, you know, I don't know who you are. You've been coming to the church a few months, but I like you. Just a few times I've interacted. Why don't you be the head usher? See how crazy that would be? That's why Paul has to tell people. Let them first be proven. And he lays out other standards. And here... Isaiah is saying you're gonna make a mockery of this in your government. Well, we've seen this. We've seen there's nothing there's something good about being an A student, but just because you are doesn't mean you're not stupid. You can be an A student and very grounded and solid, or you can be an A student and stupid as anything. We had a whole administration like this a few years back that wanted to come in and change everything. Keep your change. I'll go with the word of God. And I'll go with, you know, appearances. A lot of folks don't know that Lyndon Johnson was so decadent. He made the Kennedys look like proverbial choir boys. That's come out now by witnesses. And my point in bringing that up is well, I, it was inside of me and I had to get it out. <laughs> but the other part is you, you would think, I mean, I grew up, he was the president. And I thought that, you know, he's the president. He must be a decent man. There's nothing decent about him. Uh, so maybe you'll go do your research and say, boy, the pastor was holding back. He could have let us know a lot more about this guy. He was really bad. Anyway, that's going to be the norm with the leadership uh, Isaiah is talking about. And there were those princes that would have gotten his document, and some would have said, amen, brother, you hit it right on the nose. And others would be, I hate that prophet. And those are the ones he was talking about. Behind this character lies a reality of people without the standards of God in their life. That's what he is saying. And he describes the final breakdown of the kingdom that was once so glorious. Attitudes of society which treats obedience like a joke. We are living amongst more and more groups of people who are doing this. You know, it used to be you had certain pockets that of society you knew were into anor- spiritual anarchy, and, but now it's becoming everywhere. You, if, if you say the name of Jesus, you may end up in an argument with someone. And uh, I, I don't remember in this country being, it, it being that way. I understand that in Pakistan, but in America, it's uh, coming out. And Anyway... Uh, has not that this government and, and not an anti-government, just a people in sin thing, has always been squeaky clean? I mean, the Freemasons have had a lot to say about things in this country, and is certainly nothing spiritually sound about them. Uh, and if you're a Freemason, I don't apologize for you being wrong. Um, I stand by it. You, maybe nobody's had the nerve to tell you before. Uh, But uh, anyway, coming back to what we're talking about, the attitudes of society that treat God with no respect, the standards of decency and honor lost, uh, deprivation of honorable people. Verse 7, In that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. Well, what about the ruins? (laughs) Don't you still want them? (laughs) Verse 8, for Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against Yahweh to provoke the eyes of his glory. Well, it's not that what I've been saying is what he is saying here. It's that what I've been saying is because of what he is saying here. This is where I learned these things. He comes right out and he teaches us. The man in his this Satire, the scenario, would not want to be leader over these people at this time in the, the ruins of the, with the supply chain laws. They don't want any part of it. That's a sensible response. Will it register with anyone? Jerusalem stumbled. So no thanks too much of a mess for me, the wasteland left behind by those who left God behind. Uh, that's what verse 8 is, is telling us. They provoked the eyes of of the Lord. Uh, in, they provoked the Lord or in the eyes of his glory. Long-term disrespect to God led to ruin remedies. Isn't that something we could tell? Isn't there an unbeliever we can tell that to? The long-term Disrespect to God leads to ruined remedies. It reaches a point where you can't cure it. God says that at the end of the Kings, you know, or Chronicles. The last chapter in Chronicles, he said they kept on until there was no remedy. Well, that's what Isaiah is talking about. And the prophecies and the promises regarding the now lost kingdom only delayed Judah's ruin. Because... Hosea and Amos were up in the north saying, listen, stop this nonsense. God's going to judge you. The southern kingdom witnessed it in Isaiah's day. And um, it only delayed their ruin by a hundred years. Today, we can point out to people the truth of God's word by the fulfilled prophecies. If Even if you just took the prophecies of Israel since 1948. When Israel was restored as a a nation. You can say the Bible called this. You can take them to places in the Bible. And say listen this document. Of scripture to us. Is trustworthy. Satan through people. Has told you it's not to be trusted. And you like that. Because you think that if it can't be trusted. You're not accountable. To listen to it's judgments. And it's encouragements. But you are wrong. And here's the proof. Here's one proof. You can just point to Israel and say, who else has got anything like this? Trying to reason with the lost. It does work. It just doesn't work all the time in the favor of the preacher and the person being preached to. Sometimes they get saved and sometimes they do not. Verse 9, the look on their countenance witnesses against them and they declare... Their sin, as Sodom, they do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Well, not only their words and behaviors, but the very look on their faces. Their full-blown rebellion was metaphorically tattooed on their faces. And God could see it. There's no hiding it. The shameless, impudent looks of the arrogant. I didn't say the proud, because... People think that, well, what's wrong with being proud of something? Well, there are things we can be proud of in the sense of rejoicing over it. Where when the Bible speaks of proud in the negative, it means that, of course, you are exalting yourself. And, and that's not the same thing. Uh, there's nothing wrong if a, if a child memorizes a scripture verse or say your child memorized the whole chapter, you'd be proud of that child in a righteous way. This is a good thing. But, you, but if you began to say, well, my child is more spiritual than your child, now you got arrogance. Now it's no longer the joy of. You've corrupted it. And they live this way, these people. They will pay for this belligerence against God, though he tries to stop them before it's too late. I, so here's an example. This is why the one thing, the reason why the Bible is just so wonderful, because Hosea already did this in the north. Hosea 5, he does it twice, but I'll just take one quote from Hosea 5. The pride of Israel's, now he's talking to the northern kingdom that's gone by this time. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. That's what he said, but he also says Judah's doing the same thing. It just were not yet, it was not as widespread in Judah as it was in the north. It will be later, and that's when Nebuchadnezzar is sent. He says here in verse 9, And they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Shameless sin is the most dangerous sin. Because it's factored God out. It hasn't just looked the other way. It has factored him out. Uh, You know, there's no more struggle. There's no apology for it. There's no repentance. It's shameless. It's like, I'm going to do this like I'm commanded to do it. Amos chapter 5, who reached to the north just like Hosea. (laughs) And Amos was from Judah. God sent him up to the north. They wanted to send him back. They told him, go home. We don't like you. We don't want to hear your prophecies. Anyway, he says, they hate the one who rebukes in the gate And they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. That's today. And that's always been somewhere. Uh, uh, You know, even in the days of Spurgeon and other, the reformers, there's always been places that don't want to hear it. But what is happening now is those places are spreading and it's coloring in uh, the landscape all around. So you're finding just whole neighborhoods just totally shut down to God. And they declare their sin is Sodom. It says here in verse 9, they do not hide it. And that's, again, the shameless sin. Openly avowing their sin, as did the people of Sodom. That's why he brings Sodom up, as do the LGBT people and the others that do the same thing. I don't know why there's not like fornicators of America. You know, why, why aren't they proud of their sin? Uh, you know, just the twisted, sick stuff that, that is there. Uh, and, and they recoil at this. They think we don't have a right to disagree with them, that they've stumbled on something that we have, that's glorious, that we have been keeping from them. And that's not true, of course. And the challenge is, is to not have a righteous indignation to the point where we are no longer uh, loving, Or uh, we lose the firmness. We have to have both. That love shows up in this way. We're eager. We're eager to see them come out of their sin. And we're willing to do whatever we can to help them there. Except this. caving to them is not helping them out of hell. It is sort of paving the way for them to hell. I just saw there's a football coach, a very famous one. And he made a comment that I agree with. He is he, he, he mocking the people that identify with this lunacy. He says, so they're going to put cat boxes in, in school bathrooms for people who identify as cats. I said, that's ingenious. Why didn't I think of that? And what are they going to do for donkeys? But anyway, uh, you know, people that identify with donkeys, right? So of course, he, he caves in. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I'm a Christian. What does that have to do with being a Christian? It's logical. It's you. you made a. F- you you. It's a, a, a gem for debate. You made a point that if people identify as cats, how well then why don't they go to the bathroom like cats? What is? Why bother if you're not going to? You know, so that's an example of a Christian to me caving in and not being firm. And say, no, there's nothing hateful about that. I'm using satire. I am using a caricature. Isaiah did it. Christ did it. They all did it. In their attempt to reach spiritual doofuses. It's it's, it's just serious business. And what are you going to do? You know, just say, oh, please believe in Jesus Christ. And they're going to say, okay. Well, because if that worked, we'd do that. If, if Isaiah could say, oh, please believe in Yahweh, they would do that. The best they could do is to taste and see that Yahweh is good. And after that, then you get Isaiah chapter 3. <laughs> Verse 10, say to the righteous, it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Now, So now God turns his prophet, he has his prophet reassure believers. Well, this is important because there comes a time when we may just need assurance in our faith. John writes to the Christians because the know-it-alls had gotten into the church, the ones that said, we have deeper knowledge. Uh, the, you know, Roman Catholicism did that for years. We're going to do it in Latin, so you don't know what we're talking about because we're the deep guys, you're not. And you'll just follow what we tell you to do. Well, they were, the Gnostics were doing that. And John writes to them, he says, listen, these people are coming around and telling you you're not saved, you have to do this, you got to do that. I have written these things to you, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's called blessed assurance. And any doctrine from anybody that comes along and says to someone who claims Jesus as Lord, that confesses they are sinners before him, that there's no other Savior, then someone in their doctrine comes along and says, well, you're not really, how can you really be saved? sure you're saved? Well, because the Bible tells me. We raise our kids that way. I know because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. That is solid doctrine on any level. And no PhD can improve on that. Not one. Let's not be ashamed of our salvation. Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's blessed assurance. Jude 24. uh, You know, he who is... Able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his good. Faultless? Imagine Christ saying, I can present you faultless. He points, would you look? Who's he talking to? And I'm talking to you. So, this oasis in the middle of judgments, he takes the stop. Oh, by the way, you believers, you're good. Now back to the knuckleheads. Because we want them to be good. But we're not going to pat them on the shoulder and say, don't worry. You can come up with better ways than God and be accepted by God. You can't. Verse 11, woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. For the reward of his hands shall be given him. Wicked people often think that sinful living is a way to get ahead in life. It is. But that's not the whole story. They conveniently tell themselves that it will all work out because it's always worked out. I didn't get this far being a nice guy. You won't be getting to heaven being that kind of guy. How about that? Well, you don't believe it. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, Ecclesiastes eight eleven. Because judgment is not is not instant, the guilty think they're getting away with it and it's going to be okay. And so. God is telling man in his Bible, impenitent, impenitent souls do not recover from the wrath of God. There is no recovery on that level of wrath. And that is what the prophet is trying to say. Verse 12. Uh, uh, well, Paul said, what Christian would say well, I object to any of this? This is New Testament theology. Uh, it just It's just laid out for us in detail. Verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them, O oh, my people. Those who lead you cause you to error and destroy the way of your paths. <clears throat> Wicked Ahaz is likely the king at this time. doesn't have to be. could have been a good king on the throne, and Isaiah could see through it, and he knew there was trouble in the palace all the time. Well, God's ideal is that men should not be led by women. And on, on spiritual matters, or most certainly. It Doesn't mean women can't contribute. No, I have to develop this. I wish I could just make the statement. Everybody go. Oh, we got you. We know what you mean. But no, can't do it that way. Deborah pointed this out to Barak. He said, "You know what? If, you know, go go fight the the. the I think it was the um, the um, Moabites. Uh, go take them out." And he says, well, "Okay, but you got to come with me." He said, "Well, if I go with you, you're going to miss out. The the prophecy is, Barak, you go with them, not take me with you." But I'll go with you. And he says, okay. (laughs) That's what the book of Judges, they're all messed up. There's a connection there. The New Testament does not reverse this nor apologize for it. This is the ideal. However, too many professed Christian men have abused this. Understatement alert. Understand, I'm telling you, you can't use words to express how damaging some Christian men have been to their wives and children because they have been tyrants and using the Bible to cover. Well, I'm the head of the house, the Bible says. And they're just moronic and they're evil. And he's, but there, there are other men who just really want to do the right thing, take care of their wives, take care of their children in, in every way that they can. And under those ideal conditions, it is a better system. Somebody's got to be in charge. And, you know, again, so the women pastors, how do you do that if she's married? Does she go home and she submits to her husband? She comes to church, he submits to her. It's like putting on changing hats. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And yet it is practiced. It is practiced in, in a lot of churches when it is explicit in Scripture, both... Ex- explicit and through just reason, as I just gave you. The wife, wives submit to your husbands. How does she do that if she is the pastor and she is not? So i got a little bit more to say on this. Because if you teach this in one of the universities in Western civilization, you will be attacked. Physically, more than likely. Uh, get somebody to walk you to your car and call a tow truck, by the way. Because they're going to vandalize it. You teach this in the Muslim world, and you'll find it grossly abused, and it is grossly abused. And this should be no more offensive to women, God's system, than the fact that men can't bear children. You don't find any men going, well, that's not fair, God. I should be able to have children, too. Well, we've seen what you ladies go through. We would never make such a request. (laughs) So, in other words, there are rules. And in, in that case, you can't alter it. You, you It's forced. But on the other case, it's voluntary. You either submit to the teaching or you don't. What he is also saying here, woven into this caricature, <clears throat> is that, one, male leaders lack manliness. Two, the women are pulling the strings behind the scenes. Their husbands are leaders, and they're really the ones... Uh, calling the shots through their influence. All of that is going on, has gone on, is a part of society. But ideally, um, and it comes down. Now, that doesn't mean a man can't say to his wife, listen, you're better at, you're better at the checkbook than I am. You take the lead on that. And that's, that's delegation, and that's fair. And that's, you know, you, it works out. You're in rhythm that way. But when the man says, well, I don't want to raise the kids and I don't want to be the boss and I don't want you asking me the hard questions and me having to make a hard decision, God forbid that I should have to make a difficult decision or an unpopular one. You cannot lead if you cannot make unpopular decisions. Because your decisions aren't made based on popularity. It's based on what's right. And this is the problem Israel was having. You had people that were making decisions in government that weren't right, but they were popular. Well, let's let the diviners in and the soothsayers too. I mean, soothsayers have something to say. It is sooth. (laughs) It's so stupid. It's the stupidest word in the English language. Anyway, coming back to this. Uh, So this again is caricature. It is intended without humor. He's not trying to be funny. He's not making jokes. He's trying to point out how absurd the people are from departing what God has clearly laid out as His pattern. Uh, when uh, so, anyway, that's just that's the way it is. Uh, verse thirteen: Yahweh stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. Verse fourteen: Yahweh will enter into judgment with the elders of His people and princes, for you have eaten up the vineyard and plunder. The and the plunder of the poor is in your house. So. so Their houses were dens of thieves. Their cruelty uh, would move the Lord to action. That's where he says verse 13, the Lord stands up to plead. Uh, He's mindful of these things. The politicians, their aides, their advocates, their corrupt appointees are all going to be accountable. That's what God is saying. He doesn't have to say this to every generation through people in that generation. They are to repeat it. He only has to say it one time. His habit is two or three times for the witness. Isaiah lays it out right here. It is every bit of scripture. As God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It is every bit of scripture as that. Uh, You cannot redact God uh, and say, you know what? I don't care for that one. We'll skip it. Uh, Pass. (laughs) Thus says the Lord, Up, Pass. (laughs) because Moses lays out the law. That's what they were doing, actually, when they made a golden calf. Uh, We opt out of that one, Moses, and we know what happened. Anyway, for you have eaten up the vineyard. The vineyard here represents the nation Israel. We get that in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Verse 15 now, what do you mean by crushing my people and grinding their faces, the faces of the poor, says the Lord Yahweh of hosts. So a metaphor depicting the action of a millstone unmercifully grinding its grist into powder for and make flour out of it. The accountability is definite. Verse 16, Moreover, Yahweh says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet. Now, you can't, I I know last time we did this, I made the comments... They're not like mincing onions or (laughs) carrots. It's their prance. Pride of the negative type, which is arrogance. To demand to be recognized as accomplishing things when you have actually not not only not accomplished, but contributed to the failure of things as arrogance. Uh, This vain self-centeredness. God did not care for this behavior. And then, and he doesn't care for it now. Uh, has triviality a more uh, merciless exposure. As if God is saying, this is trivial stuff, and he slams it so hard here. You say, I don't know if anybody has slammed vanity this hard. Solomon may have been perplexed with vanity, but Isaiah is very clear about it. And he's this type of vanity. Uh, so here he's saying their parade is actually quite ugly and absurd. And you've got to see these, these are the, the, the wives and family members of these politicians that were anti-God. And this is how they were living. I want to open this up a little bit more. But if you look at the repugnant background of verse 15 again, what do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? Well, these are the people that also were a part of it. When a society rots, it's not just the men. And it's not just the women. It's both. It takes, it takes them both to, to completely rot a kingdom or a nation. And Isaiah has already called out some of the men. And now he's calling out the women. He will get back to the men and everybody else as he moves through his prophecies. Uh, so he says, and walk with outstretched necks. He has nothing but scorn for this flagrant display of vanity. There's nothing good to say about this. They were dedicated to receiving attention. Imagine if they had today's technology. Oh, wait, they do. The same spirit that was alive, we, we have these people, it is incredible how vain. This is it's like, this isn't even, this is a psychosis is the word that somebody's made up that, I don't like that group, but I like that word, so I, I, I just take it from them, and I eat the meat, spit out the bones. Isaiah's experience and estimation of these women is not flattering. He says they had wanton eyes, they were flirtatious, inviting, promiscuous, you could say. Uh, both actions indicate the desire to attract the attention of men, Shameless and modesty, and then you also had, of course, do i, I don 't even have to say the men were just loving this the the the, sh- the the shameful ones, walking and mincing as they go, making a jingling with their feet, and so he says, the silly little prances that they had, altering their steps because they had the ankle, bracelets, and little charms on there, and producing a tingling to draw attention to themselves. oh, look at me, stop what you 're doing, look at me, look how many selfies I have <laughs> I mean, I take every five steps, I take a selfie. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, they had fallen in love with their own reflection. And, of course, that same group that gave us the word psychosis gives us the word narcissist. Uh, the self-attraction craze is something wrong. Would, could you imagine if, if you're a guy and you're dating a girl and she's sitting next to you in a car and you're driving maybe 10 minutes, but the whole time she's looking in the mirror. <laughs> the whole time. And there's nothing stuck in her tooth. She's just admiring herself. Like, boy, I am really good looking. No, I mean really. Oh, wait a minute. Seconds have gone by. I've gotten even better. <laughs> I mean, what would you do? I'd U-turn. it would be very simple. Oh, excuse me. I just remember. I have an appointment to drop you off. Uh just, you know... somebody that vain. Because you have kids with them, it's like, the kid needs to be changed. I'm sorry. I'm taking some selfies. Come on, have a little respect. Imagine if these women here had cosmetic surgeons or surgeries available and, and the vanity drugs, the different, you know, hormone injections and things. Imagine if that was available, the Frankenstein stuff was available to them. Well, it's available today. Now, I mean, there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's, you know, maybe you just, you know, I need to get some alterations here. That's, of course. But this is another class. And that's why he's itemizing this. There's nothing wrong with a woman wanting to do her hair and look nice. and nothing wrong with that. But when it gets out of control, then that's what he's dealing with. Because the background is the cruelty that was being uh, pushed on the poor people. And these are not the poor. Verse 17, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the crown and the head of the daughters of Zion, on the head of the daughters of Zion, and Yahweh will uncover their secret parts. And so, uh, just, I'm not going to, we're running low on time. The Hebrew words are just very explicit, publicly shame, uh, shaming them, and it will happen when they're taken into captivity. Verse 18, in that day the Lord will take away. The finery, the jingling anklets, the scarves, the crescents, the pennants, the bracelets, the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments, and their headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms, and the rings and the nose jewels. Yeah, get that one. the the, the fest the the festal apparel the mantles, the outer garments. So this is all seasons. It's like, you know, your your, your winter coats, your summer, everything's being covered here. The purses, verse 23, the mirrors. We talked about that one in the car. The fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. There are 21 listed items. Tell me he not, he's, he's not thorough. He's serious about this. This was a problem. It was out of control. Like today with people in traffic, shutting down traffic just to take selfies. I saw this video. This guy comments on it. I wouldn't recommend him. I could watch him because I'm a pastor. But, but no, not just some of the language. But anyway, he's showing you what, what these people are doing out there. I live out in the country. There's nobody like laying in front of a cow, taking selfies that I know of, and interfering with the cow's meal. But they're laying down in front of buses. They're causing traffic jams so they can get their two-minute content to post. Hit that like button. Anyway, let's review. No, let's not review it. Some of these things, the pendants, those are earrings that dingle down. Uh, The fashion crazed women. There's nothing wrong with admiring fashion, wanting to look decent, look nice. There's something wrong when the tail wags the dog. Verse 24. And so it shall be. Instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. Instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of Well-set hair, baldness instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Well, this goes along with being taken a prisoner of war in some cases, but he's also just holding up the utter contrast or uh, antithesis, the opposite of what they admired. What's going to happen to them? Verse 25, Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in war. The men who want to protect these type of women who allowed this to get out of hand, well, they're going to be dealt with too. And everything's going to be different. No one's going to notice their clothes and their jewelry and their perfumes. Still notice those nose rings, but not in a good way. I know. Listen, if you have nose rings, God still loves you and salvation is there. Uh, is just, sometimes it's just perplexing to some of us. Verse 26, her gates shall lament and mourn, and she, being desolate, shall sit on the ground. And and so, not a happy ending. Verse 1 now of Isaiah 4, yeah, we could do this. It's only just like 80 verses. No, it's not. It's just a few. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food, wear our own apparel, Only let us be called by your name to take away our approach. Well, therefore, polygamy, long as they're not embarrassed. (laughs) Like, wait a minute. (laughs) By our standard, that's crazy. But to them, it was more important to have a child than to be without a husband. Even if you had a husband, they had to share him. Well, that's where all the men. Well, eligible husbands were severely reduced in the population because of the war, there was a shortage. That's the point. But this is caricature again. Because it's it's not likely that seven women will go up to one guy and say, hey, look, we'll we'll pay for all the bills. We just want to have kids. Uh, He's just a caricature of the breakdown in society due to moral pollution. If you were to say, are you saying nobody did this? I'm not going that far. But I am saying the idea behind the prophet is to jar the people into saying to themselves when they read this, this is messed up. How do we avoid this kind of stuff? We'll get right with God. Verse 2, In that day, the branch of the Lord, of Yahweh, shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. Now, previously, in chapter 3, and in verse 1 of this fourth chapter, when Isaiah speaks of uh, that day, it's the day of judgment. Here, it refers to the ultimate restoration. The context tells us that. He's now going to talk about the Messiah, the Messianic Age, and a renewed Zion. Uh, so he's, he's now discussing the future. The branch of Yahweh shall be beautiful and glorious. Well, this is Messiah in the Millennial Kingdom. And we know this because we're taught this in Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 33, Zechariah 6, uh, Zechariah 3, and Zechariah 12, uh, Zechariah 3 and 6. There you go. That's how we know what's going on here. And so you have the failed leadership of reprobate man, but contrasted to Messiah's leadership, which exalts Jerusalem and not ruin it. The branch uh, is really in the Hebrew a sprout or a shoot, the, the beginning of life. In something that was once thought to be dead, and it parallels the fruit of the land, but also the fruit of Messiah. Isaiah fifty three ten. He shall see his seed, and uh, he's talking in the context of the crucifixion and the fruit that comes from the sufferings, which is the the saved souls that are the people that go to heaven because of the cross of Christ. And uh, he's saying Israel has to be reborn. It's, it's too far gone. It will be cut down to a, to a stump, but the sprout of Messiah will, will come out. And it is interesting where he says it will be beautiful and glorious. So it was said of the robes of the priest. They would, they would be beautiful and glorious in Exodus 28.2. Isaiah eight five. In that day, Yahweh of hosts will before a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people. And this is the messianic age. Zechariah 13 tells us that almost all of Israel will be wiped out in the great tribulation, but a third will survive, and they will enter into the millennial kingdom. He says the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing, unlike what he just told us about, people mincing things and of grinding the poor and things like that. For those of Israel who have escaped, and again, the survivors of the great tribulation, verse 3, and it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Well, this holiness is to be set apart to God because of a right relationship with him. Be holy, for your Father in heaven is holy. This mention, we don't have time, but you can reference Malachi 3.16 where he talks about being, uh, your name in the book, being remembered. Of course, we have it in Revelation. Uh, Revelation 21.7. But there shall, speaking of the New Jerusalem, <clears throat> by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes An abomination or a lie. That's holiness. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so you have those written in the book of the Lamb to survive the great tribulation of the Jews, uh, amongst the Jews. And then you have those of the saints in Revelation 21 also. So, uh, the purification. Now, verse 4. And the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst and by the spirit of judgment, and by the spirit of burning. Well, the Old Testament picture of an altar is a picture of purification. Uh, he will baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit and with fire, in the sense of purification, in Matthew 3.11. And fire, symbolically, there's three dominant meanings to it. One is judgment, the judgment of God, as is in Isaiah one twenty-five, Purification, Malachi 3, verses 2 through 5. And then Yahweh's presence, as here in uh, when we get to verse 5, but also, you know, the burning bush before Moses. So uh, fire is a theological type of judgment, God's judgment, purification, and the presence of God, which is, of course, uh, you could even say our communion. There's fire in that. Verse 5, Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place to Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and a shining of flaming fire by night. For over all the glory will be a covering. Uh, This is the Shekinah, which is the presence of God. The Hebrew word, the, the root of Shekinah, is the presence. That's our communion table. Our communion table brings that to the front, the presence of Christ. Uh, It's a very powerful connection. Uh, And then he goes on to verse 6, And there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat, for a place of refuge, and for a shelter from the storm and rain. And this, of course, is uh, God's presence in that day will provide care for his people, and they will have no needs. Let's pray. Our Father, this evening, uh, moving through your your scripture, a lot of information, but it is worth our time and effort, and we thank you for this. Uh, We always hope that we can put it to use. We ask that you get us home safely, and once again, we we lift up our sister, injured and on her way into the house of of the Lord, and we pray, Lord, uh, for her recovery and mercy upon her right now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.